Hello and welcome to episode 367 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. I'm Ben Olson, that's Nathan Fox. Together we're the co-founders of LSATdemon.com and the LSAT Demon Daily podcast. If you want to get on the next show, email us at help at thinkinglsat.com. This is going to air on Monday, September 12th, 2022. The next registration deadline for the November LSAT is coming up. It's on Thursday, September 29th. You can find all these dates at lsat.link forward slash dates. Again, that's lsat.link forward slash dates. If you have not done so already, we implore you, I implore you to come to Nathan's free classes Um, He does them every other Thursday, 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern. This next class is going to be on Thursday, September 22nd. It's called Your Law School Application Checklist. What are you going to talk about? Well, we talked about it on today's show, actually. We got an amendment to our GLAD acronym. Okay. G-L-A-D. GPA, if you're not getting a 4.0 GPA in your undergrad, you don't have any business studying LSAT right now. If your undergrad is already over, then okay, you can move on to the next step, no matter what your GPA was. The next step is L for LSAT. You really need to get the very best LSAT you can before you even think about an application cycle. Once you do have your very best LSAT, you should move on to your applications. We want you applying in shit. We used to say September. Yeah, but today on the show, we had a long email from some, well, no, I'm sorry, not a long email, but an email from someone who applied at the beginning of August and already has a scholarship. Yeah, we made a bet, Ben, on a recent show. I won. Thanks. <laughs> you had the under. <laughs> you had what, September 8th and I had September, September 9th? September 10th and you had the 11th. The 11th, yeah. okay. Um, yeah. And uh, well, actually, the first LSAT that we're, or sorry, the first scholarship that we're aware of right now is a full tuition scholarship to Arizona state on August 24th. Wow. Of this year for next year. Wow. Neither of us, the, the, the folks who believe in the early scholarships still underestimated how early they would come. Well, because think about it. What are the incentives for the law school? The, the law schools that are savvy, right? The law schools that are really trying to play this game and fight their way up the rankings and Arizona State apparently is one of those. I'm going to go to lsatdemon.com slash rankings. Sure. Yeah, let's do that. This is a cool little uh, data visualization that we made for you. All right. So we're looking for Arizona State, which is currently 30th. Yeah. So this is a school that, uh, boy, um, 10, 15 years ago, they were down 50 something. Yeah. And now they seem to be aggressively interested in improving their ranking. They slipped a little bit last year, but they have climbed all the way up into the mid 20s. And you know, in the mid 20s, those schools, they have to compete ruthlessly with dollars. Yeah. Well, there's that. And also the fact that they slipped last year. Yeah. Could be the very totally. reason that they're like yeah. out of the. They're out of, what is it? They're out of the track. They're out of the gate. They're out of the gate running. Yeah. Y'all, we've been yelling at you about applying in September or not at all. The law schools who are competing for the very best applicants, you know, they're like, shit, man, we're going to get fired. I mean, they might've got fired. That might've been like, you actually got fired, right? Your rankings went down by five. You're fired. Maybe they have a new Dean. They could have a new admissions team. And the new admissions team is like, you know, Dickinson last year 
was known for giving early scholarships. Yep. Now they're a much lower ranked school, but Dickinson, um, I'm looking for them now on the estimator. Um, yeah, so that's, you know, that school was out there last cycle, actually for a couple cycles now, I think I have remembered Dickinson out there giving scholarships early. Wow. And they've gone up a lot. They shot up from like a hundred something all the way up to 58th now. Yep. So, and that's only in like seven years. Yep. So, I mean, that's just the game that is being played and, uh, like, yeah, I mean, Hey, (laughs) when is, when should I apply? You should apply when they open their fucking window for admissions. Like they're, they're, they're not accepting applications if they don't want applications and schools like Dickinson schools, like Arizona state, probably lots of other savvy schools are going to be offering scholarships early in the cycle to the people who are out there applying early, you know, like apparently they opened their application in August. Like they're just like, Hey man, early bird gets the worm. Let's open applications in August. Some schools are still trying to fill their class for the previous cycle. We'll open our application in August and we'll get these apps early and just destroy. You know, it's like they're stealing a march on the competition there by just getting up earlier. So you need to play that game as an applicant. You need to be applying broadly. You need to look for the school's open date. When do they open? And when they open, you need to be there like, hi, yep, I'm ready. Let's do this. Really quick here, I just looked up ASU's dean, and they don't have a, a an official dean right now. They just have an interim, interim. Oh, how do, interim dean? Interim. How do you say that? Interim. interim. Yeah, interim dean. Yeah. So sounds like somebody <laughs> stepped down. I don't know why, of course, but yeah. yeah. All right. In addition to that news, which we had at the top of the show, we also had uh, a long email from a pseudonym um, Amanda who improved by 31 points over a three and a half year monster uh, LSAT prep, but 31 damn points. It's amazing. All right, let's get into the show. You want to take this first email from Delia? Sure. Hey y'all, I listened to today's podcast and just wanted to share some information you might find interesting. I applied to Arizona state, which is ranked 30th. I believe on the day applications opened in early August. I applied before receiving my August test score of 180, so I applied with my original 171 LSAT and 4.0 GPA. On August 24th, I was accepted and offered a full tuition scholarship. Just thought this information might be helpful. It supports your conclusion that applying early can help. Best, Delia. Could be Delia, too. Anyway, thank you. Talia, Talia, for writing in. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's what we've been saying, right? It, it's just, it stands to reason, and the evidence backs it up. So when you see high-priced admissions consultants out there telling you that there's no advantage to applying early, I don't know. I'm gonna shrug and say, well, Arizona State was offering full rides in August of 2022 for September of 2023 admission. So what now you're, you're saying there's not an advantage to applying early. How do you figure there's there's more scholarship (laughs) money available and more options? Well, they know that you're a baller, right? They like the school. Think about the negotiation. 
The schools yeah. are like, hey, it's real early in our application cycle. But Ben, do you think they open ed- applications in early August because they don't want applications in early August? <laughs> no, <laughs> like, well, they know that someone who has all their stuff together and has already applied will now immediately turn around and apply to other schools on September 1st when those applications open. So if they don't act, they run the risk of losing someone to another school. Also, yeah. I'm pretty sure there's a there's this bias toward things that come to us first, right? Like if you have two options and you encounter one before the other, you're going to be biased towards that first option if they're relatively equal. Of course. Yeah. I'm, I'm playing with the scholarship estimator right now. Um, go to lsatdemon.com forward slash scholarships and put in, I'm putting in 4.0 and 171 right now so that okay. I can look at Delia's prospects. You know, she's the, the estimator starts turning green around. Yep. There it is. Number 16, Washington university in St. Louis, you know, they're yep. like big scholarship school yep. and they're 16th in the country and they're offering a full tuition scholarship. Boston university, full tuition at number 17, Florida at 21, BYU at 23, Alabama at 26. And then just a whole bunch of them, Iowa, Georgia, and yeah, Arizona state at 30th. Hmm. And it's like, if you're Arizona state and you're trying to claw your way, you know, a point, a two, two, two places higher in the rankings, yeah, you know, that you're fighting against these other schools for these really super qualified applicants. Yeah. And so someone like Talia did it perfect. You know, you did it perfect. You're like, what? When does your application open? Oh, early August. Okay, yeah, I'm going to apply right now. I got a 171. I mean, I'm taking it again and I'm going to score higher, but my 171 puts me way over, I'm sure. Right. Looking at Arizona. Yeah, 75th percentile LSAT 167, 75th percentile UGPA 3.9, 3.94. Dalia is way over on both LSAT and GPA. Yep. And notice, by the way, she does not get yield protected here. <laughs> she gets offered a full ride. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, kids panic yeah. way too much about yield protection. I, I think that that's almost a non-issue. I think people should not worry about getting yield protected. Even if you do get yield protected at some schools, you apply to enough schools that it doesn't even matter. No, there, that's out of your control. Anyway, right, right. Leave it up to the school to decide whether <laughs> right. they want to take you or not. And plus, if you're applying early, that shows that you're interested in the school. I mean, think right. about Arizona's perspective. She applied to them on whenever the on the day applications open. That's expressing seriousness and interest yeah. in your institution. Yeah, I don't want to name names, but I mean, if if a if a high priced admissions consultant is like trying to get your business for later this cycle telling you that there's no incentive to apply early. I I just question whether their incentives are aligned with yours because you know, they're they, if they really wanted to help you, I think they would say, Hey, you know, law school is wildly overpriced. Let's do this in a way that's going to get you a scholarship. And instead the, these, you know, high priced admissions folk are just like, Oh no, no. Uh, there's there's no benefit whatsoever to applying early. 
which is just to me, I mean, okay, well, stupid or liar, but one of those two, right? I mean, I mean, I don't like you, you could maybe not know the game that you profess to be an expert at, or you could be lying to prospects in order to get more business. And I, I, either way, I don't think that looks very good. Yeah. Uh, thank you for writing in. Appreciate it. This next email is super duper long. Maybe we can um, tag team it. Okay, but sure. this is a big, big success story. All right, let's take four paragraphs each. <laughs> okay. This is from Amanda. It says, hello, Ben and Nathan. I'm surprised to say this is my first time emailing the podcast. I'm a longtime listener and a massive fan of the demon. I wanted to reach out and share my success story as hope for the people feeling like the purgatory will never end. I apologize in advance for the length of this email. I tried to put it through the word chipper as much as possible. <laughs> well, you could have gotten rid of those two sentences. Please call me Amanda. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for being a fan of the show where you know that you get shredded immediately in your first paragraph. <laughs> Even if you love us. Yes, we love you too. Um, okay, please call me Amanda. If you choose to use this on the podcast, again, you could cut that. Anyways, in early 2019, I decided I wanted to pursue law school. Everyone and their mother tells you not to go unless you're so sure. You're sh- uh, sorry. You're sure. So I took the time to eliminate the thought of pursuing my other interests before turning to law school. That's interesting. I'm glad people told you not to go unless you're sure, because I feel like there are a lot of people out there who tell you just to go, uh, which is not good. But in any case, my diagnostic was a 145 and I started studying by myself, but it wasn't easy. Despite being fully fluent in English, it was still my second language. Oh, that was four paragraphs. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) So I yelped LSAT tutors and found Fox LSAT. This was back in San Francisco uh, years ago and signed up for the longer course that Nathan used to offer in San Francisco back then. In four months, I was averaging in the low 160s. From a diagnostic of 145. Okay. Although I learned a ton during that time, what really stuck with me was a clear understanding of what doing well on this test could bring me. It could get me admission into an amazing school for free if I was willing to commit to the work. I didn't really have much relevant work experience, and since I wanted to pursue a career in PI law, I paused my LSAT studying to get a public service fellowship and then another. It was late 2020 before I started studying again. So now we're into the pandemic and the the world of LSAT Demon fully online. I started using Demon 2.0, but I was stuck in the low 160s for six months. Nothing I did would move it. I was studying five to seven days a week, one section a day while I was working full time, and I didn't see an improvement. I reviewed every question meticulously. I went to class. I was eating, sleeping, and working out. I checked every box. I confessed this to Nathan in a class when I was starting to lose hope, and he asked me such a memorable question in response. He asked me if, a year into the pandemic, whether I would let a single package come into the house without disinfecting it. I said no, because I am an overcareful, anxious ball most days. And I wouldn't let a single mistake slide. And with that, he had found my problem. It was perfectionism. Despite having near 100% accuracy on attempted questions, 
I would spend so much time triple and quadruple checking answers that I wasn't even allowing myself to believe I could attempt more questions. I didn't trust myself enough to do well. Wow. That advice clicked, and the next three practice tests I took were in the low 170s. I took the test in 2021, but I only scored in the mid-160s. Test anxiety was still affecting me. After a family tragedy that year, I resumed studying in late 2021, and this is when I started practice testing consistently in the high 160s and low 170s. I took the test four times in 2022. I got three scores that were incredibly disheartening not just because they were so much lower than my practice scores, but because my work felt moot. I had sunk time, money, and a lot of heart into this. I sacrificed time with loved ones. I put a lot on hold to do this, but my practice tests consistently in the low to mid 170s. Okay, they were in that range. This is three. Oh, yeah. Three years and six months after my diagnostic test, I scored a 176 on the official test. I studied a total of two years for that score. I did every practice test twice, and I did many of them three times. I did a section a day for months and months. I studied with people who went on to apply and have already started law school. But I stuck with it, and it has paid off in a way I never thought possible. Attached, you'll find a PDF of my LSAT tracker for practice tests. This only captures the second half, the last 18 months, of my struggle. But it feels so good to see it all together that I might frame it and hang it up. I emailed that to you, Ben. I couldn't figure out how to get it into our uh, Google Doc here. Yeah, I see it. Here's the most important advice that I retained from you guys. Bullet one. No amount of studying can make up for the care you give to your mental, physical, and emotional health. Work out, meditate, go to therapy, sleep enough, draw boundaries, and eat fruits and vegetables. <laughs> Bullet number two. Every question on this test makes perfect sense. It's not out to get you. The LSAT really just tests logic, English, and your ability to work hard. This test will challenge more than your brain. Can you put the LSAT above everything else? Can you say no to trips, lunches, drinks, dinners? Can you put your pride, ego, and excuses aside? Can you humble yourself? Can you push your goal application cycle once or twice? Are you ready to fail repeatedly for a long time and still try? Teaching is the best way to learn. I tutored four people for free, and they all scored above a 167 before I got my official score despite having a diagnostic like mine. Okay. She continues, here's some of the advice I came up with and followed myself, but I haven't heard from the demon, although it's probably because I haven't listened to every minute of every episode. Bullet point one, sometimes, and for some people, speed can come from self-belief. Mind you, I was already very good at this test, even when scoring in the mid-160s, but what I needed was self-trust. And accuracy alone wasn't giving me the speed I needed. However, I was a special case in this. Most people should still follow the rule that speed comes from accuracy. Yeah. I mean, I remember Amanda from my class. Like She, she stuck out to me kind of immediately as someone who was just really sharp, like really getting it. Mm. And I talked to her about her practice tests and I, I knew that her practice tests were really good. And it was like, yeah, okay, well, I mean, it's inevitable. 
it's going to happen. But I can see how, you know, if it doesn't happen for you on your first official attempt or your second official attempt or God, your third or fourth official attempt, it can start to seem totally futile. Right. Mm. But I'm, you know, I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad I, she found us because I just never had any doubt. I could, you know, I could hear her talk about one logical reasoning question and it's like, oh no, you completely understand. Yeah. You totally, you totally get it. Yeah. This isn't even going to be hard for you. And I was wrong about that part. (laughs) It turned out to be a, you know, three year ordeal. Yeah. But three years and six months to improve by 31 points off of her original diagnostic. Yeah. And uh, that's just a, yeah, lifetime change. And I guess, yeah, she had to believe in herself. She just, she had to just, she had to do it. She had to like, let it out. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Okay. Bullet point number two, if you're not prepared to take the test five times to get at least near your practice test average, you shouldn't go to law school. I think we've said that before. If you have higher practice tests and you're not willing to take it again, yet you have shots in the barrel, then there's a problem. Yeah. Then, I mean, that's a losing attorney is what that is. Like, it's just, okay, well, wait till you see what it's like in law school and wait till you see what it's like in legal practice. Cause if you're not, if you're not willing to make the very best case you possibly can, you're going to get just chewed up and spit out in this game. I mean, you know, that's not to say that every successful attorney took the LSAT five times, right? I mean, my favorite lawyer, my buddy Cole Black, um, in, in LA, she, she didn't, she didn't know shit about the game. Right. So she took it once, like didn't prep, took it once and ended up going to Hastings and she has carved out a fine legal career for herself. But if I would have got my (laughs) hooks into her earlier, you know, instead of meeting her in law school, but instead of, instead of I had met her in LSAT prep, it would be like, Hey, you got to put like, you're clearly a bulldog. You got to put that to work right now before you go to law school. Let me just, I'll save you a quarter of a million dollars. How about that? And you'll go to a way better law school. Yeah. And just put yourself on this completely different trajectory. And some people just don't know that going in, which is fine. But if you're hearing our voice now and you're hearing Amanda tell you, if you're not prepared to take it five times to get a score that represents what your practice tests reflected, then that just to me is like, okay, pretty clear sign that this is not the game for you. Yeah. I mean, if you get your highest possible score in three attempts, fine. But or one attempt, fine. Yeah. But yeah, if you if you have to be committed to that, that like I don't care when I had initially intended to start law school, Amanda gave up on multiple cycles. Yep. To eventually get her 31 point completely life-changing improvement well and then this this is the question right amanda do you wish that you would have applied earlier and that you were in law school now (laughs) with a lower score or do you wish that you'd be where you are now sitting with a 176 i mean yeah she's looking at her you know i don't think we need to wait (laughs) these people that she tutored for free yeah who scored a 167 applied immediately And now they're overpaying for, you know, a mediocre law school like Hastings. Or maybe they're going for free, but they're going to a lower school than they could have gone. A mediocre school like Hastings. 
Yeah, this one change is going to leapfrog Amanda's career. <laughs> she won't even apply to Hastings. Yeah. Not with a 176, assuming she has decent grades. I mean, that's Berkeley and Stanford. Yep. And much UCLA. And sorry, Hastings. She continues, this process is disappointing, heartbreaking, and entirely thankless work. It's straight up feels soul destroying sometimes, but so does being a lawyer. The quote suffering does end here. doesn't end here. It starts here, but I kind of love the suffering. So I know I'll like where I'm going or at least I'm far more likely to. Yeah. Okay. Um, bullet point number three, if reading comp isn't your favorite section, you're missing out. I love every part of the LSAT, but I truly only fell in love with reading comp towards the end of my preparation. Even though there are three sections, technically there are more points up for grabs in reading comp. A perfect score on games may not let you miss the fourth passage in reading comp to get a 170, but a perfect score on reading comp may let you miss a whole game and get a 170. I got it down to minus zero to minus two on reading comp with a rule that I told Nathan about three years ago during his San Francisco class. All the answers are in the passage. You just have to take the time to understand before moving on to the questions. So that's, so you got that idea from her. Yep. Oh, oh wow. All that my comes best full. shit comes from the students for sure. It yeah. still does. I mean, I still Well, I remember things. you said you got this idea from a student. Yep. I just had no idea who or yep. when or she where said or why. The passage this is, is a okay. collection of all the right answer choices or of all yep. the right answers. Yep. Which we now repeat repeatedly in these yeah. classes. Yeah, yep. I do too. Thank you, Amanda. Anyways, um, uh, let's see. Reading comp is the most straightforward section in the LSAT, and that's why people hate it. Yeah. There are no tricks to it. There are no game formats or contrapositives. It's although some people do contrapositives. <laughs> yeah, um, we talked about that recently. Comp. Yeah, but anyways, it's just read it, understand it, and don't pick an answer they didn't already give you. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's the one that depends most on your willingness to work, right? Probably. Like just yeah. get in there and read and learn how to read better. Yeah. And when people are like, you know, I, I just can't understand why I'm not improving in reading comp. And it's like, well, because you're picking answers that just don't say what the passage said. Yeah. And Simple you got to get better at reading comprehension, which just requires getting better at reading sentences. It's, it's a, it's a, um, a section that really depends on your willingness to elevate a core fundamental skill that you should have for law school anyway. It's just, it's not like games where, oh, I didn't know about this and now I know about diagramming. You've been reading your whole life. If you're struggling, it's because you need to take that innate ability and push it up. And that's usually just through work. People love to come with like, but I'm great at reading. I mean, I was a poli sci major. I was a history major. I was an English major. I'm good at reading, but I just yeah. can't do this reading comp. What do you like, say? No, you're, you were good at a, maybe a certain type of reading, skimming for class, but not actual comprehension, technical well, comprehension. Yeah. And just not like being careful enough to understand that like there is something conclusively wrong with every wrong answer on the reading comp. That answer yeah. is wrong. It's not yeah. second best. It's wrong. Yeah. And the right answer in their minds Right. They intended for this right answer to be perfectly right if you read it the way they intended it. And these other answers, there's a way that you can read those answers that they are conclusively wrong. 
And that's what we've got to find eventually, right? We've got to, you got to be patient enough to be okay with the click, like to wait for the click to where you go, oh shit. Oh, I see. Okay. So that one clearly wrong because of this and this one. Yeah. That's the one that that's okay. So this one is the safe, boring, obvious conservative. That's what they said because of this line right here. That's why that's the correct answer. Okay. I finally got there. I feel the click. That's the answer. What's next? And if you don't do that, if you just skim it, right, if you do college style reading, oh, mm-hmm. well, yeah, I mean, I read it, you know, I skimmed it. I took a couple notes, maybe. And then, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I knew it was one of these two answers and I, I just picked B. But, you know, I mean, turns out it was D, but. Oh, OK, that's not like you're not doing it. Yeah, it, as you were saying that, it made me think that a lot of college reading is merely testing did you do the reading? Are you aware of topics that were discussed? Yeah. Did you skim Not, it enough so that you can kind of pull something out of your ass for a paper or pull something out of your ass to make one comment in class? And on the, you know, the test is a completely different thing. And it's not like you didn't actually have to. It's just not technical, right? It's not it's not computer science. Yeah. But the LSAT is computer science. It's 17 sentences. It's 15 sentences. And you got to know those. It's lines of very code. well. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Next bullet point. Falling in love with the pre- precision, consistency, and predictability of this test is your best path to a great score. People might gawk at this, but gawk, but I am not ashamed to say I truly love this test. It's part of what got me through the last few years, period. Okay. You're looking gawk. up gawk. Yeah. Yeah. Um, to stare openly and stupidly. Yeah. Maybe people would be shocked that you truly love this test, but we hear it all the time. We love the test and a lot of high scores come to love the test. I would have said balk there. Balk. Yeah. Like you're just like, huh? Like I bet you have fun explaining the balk rule to your pitchers. Uh, yeah. What is on the, the ball? Your little league team. I, I, I'll need to know that. <laughs> <laughs> like you start to pitch and then you stop, right? Or something. Everybody listeners, Ben is coaching his sixth grade sons, uh, sixth through 10th grade baseball class, uh, baseball team. And Ben doesn't really know anything about baseball. Yeah. The only reason I got this position was because they sent out the league, sent out a request for coaches probably six times. Yeah. And by the sixth time I was like, okay, sure. I'll do it. And yeah, I don't, I don't know a whole lot about baseball. I thought I knew enough. I know enough to watch it, but there's a lot more to it. So I'm learning as we go. Yeah. (laughs) You don't balk is worry about that later. She continues advocate for yourself in every sphere of the LSAT, whether it's the administration of the test cost in taking it, studying for it, or telling people who try to stop you from your best score. Telling I've off had, people who try sorry, to stop telling you from your off, best score. Yeah, telling off people who try to stop you from your best score. I've had people tell me their parents want them to apply this cycle or that they don't want to live at home anymore. <laughs> yeah, welcome to our life, Amanda. Um, by the way, you are eligible to teach for LSAT Demon if you're interested. Um, just uh, send me an email and we will definitely talk about it. Because 170 something and a fan of the show, fan of the demon, you really get it. You understand what we're trying to do here. We would love to hire you. So just email me, Nathan at LSATDemon.com. Cool. Surround yourself with a support system that is willing to believe in you when you stop believing in yourself. Cut out the toxicity 
early and keep it at bay. You don't need people doubting you. You need people who com- who will confront you, oh, sorry, comfort you, but also push you when you feel like giving up. Okay, both. Yeah, don't sugarcoat it, but also provide support. Um, I think it's your turn. I didn't have a great diagnostic score. I didn't take private tutoring with the demon tutor or Ben and Nathan. You don't, y'all, you don't need it. Just do a demon subscription. I mean, you can add tutoring if you, if you really feel like you need it, but you, most people don't, most people just need to do the damn work themselves. Uh, I didn't apply in the cycle I thought I was going to apply in. In fact, I'm now three cycles past what I wanted. I am not a natural at standardized tests. This is actually the first time I've done well on a standardized test in my entire life. That makes me proud. Hmm. No part of this process was ideal. Wait, what? (laughs) We weren't. Oh, I was just (laughs) consistent. (laughs) And of course, I prefer it didn't take this long to get here, but I do it all over again in a heartbeat. So there's your to answer your question. Yeah. Does does she regret not, you know, applying with a 167? Yeah. For all of you listening to the podcast, hoping for a jump from 145 to the mid 170s. You're not stupid to dream because clearly it's possible, but I can tell you with certainty that there was no switch along the way to turn on or a shortcut that would have gotten me here faster. I had to stumble, fall, run away multiple times, sob uncontrollably, be depressed and just fall down exhausted in order to get here. I'm not saying you're also going to experience all that. If you follow this podcast's advice, you'll certainly save yourself from the worst of it, but this is your journey. You get what you put into it. If you've made it this far, thanks for reading. Honestly, I'm going to really miss this test. It was a friend and my ticket to places I've only dreamed about. Cheers to you guys and thanks for everything. Warmly, Amanda, not her real name. Wow. Uh, Given your last comment there, Amanda, you really should apply to work with us. It would be you could keep the test in your life. Yeah, you love the test and, you know, you could become our resident expert on somebody who really struggled for three years. You're a, you're a perfect fit for us. Um, probably got bigger fish to fry, but we would love to have you. Yeah. Want to read this email from McKenna? Will do. Hi, Ben and Nathan. I got my score from the August test back today and I was a little underwhelmed. I scored a 165, which is an okay score for my first LSAT, but I'm not satisfied. I have scored higher on my practice tests, low to mid 170s, So I know that I'm fully capable of scoring higher. I'm registered for the August test in June. Oh, sorry. I registered for the August test in June, which was before I had even started prepping. So stupid. I know. To McKenna's words. I had a weird thing about not wanting to spend any money on prep. So I downloaded PDFs of practice tests off some shady website. Yes, they were official tests and worked through questions on my own. While I was making progress, it was incredibly slow. I found myself wasting lots of time scouring this website for practice questions I hadn't used yet. By the time I found the podcast, my practice test scores were hovering around the high 160s. All right, nice work, McKenna. You still still made some progress on your own. I knew I could make faster and more significant progress if I set my ego aside and drank the LSAT Demon Kool-Aid. I used the basic plan for the month leading up to my test and I was actually getting clicks. 
Even so, I felt a bit rushed since I had given myself such an insane window of time to prep. I went ahead and took the August test because it was too late to get a refund and my practice test scores were almost where I wanted them. All of this is to say, when I got my score today and it wasn't what I wanted, I didn't feel upset or defeated or anything like that. When I saw my score, my first thought was, sweet, now I have an excuse to keep listening to the podcast and get the live subscription. <laughs> all right, well, we all get there somehow. That's awesome. I plan on actually taking your advice and waiting until my scores are where I want them before I register again. The community you guys have created through LSAT Demon and the Thinking LSAT podcast is one that I feel so grateful to be a part of, and I'm a little excited that my journey with you guys isn't over just yet. I love hearing all the success stories on the podcast, semicolon. I can't wait to be one of them. Best McKenna. Cool. Excellent. Um, you know, be like Amanda. She took it five times. You, you've got one under your belt, 165, yep. but you know you can do better. And if you're just now signing up for the demon, I mean, you've got practice tests right now hovering right around 170. Let's see if we can get those PTs to 175 or 178 yeah. uh, before your next official test. Could turn out to be the best thing that ever happened to you, McKenna. If you would have gotten a 170 on your first attempt, you might have given up. You might have said, yeah, that was amazing. I'm done. Declare yep. victory. And, you know, 170 ain't what it used to be, Ben. It's, uh, you know, it's an arms race for the very best students. And yep. if you want to keep those doors open, um, you know, the, the doors that Amanda above didn't even really know were possible. You, you need the very best LSAT you can, you can get because, um, yeah, like Harvard, Stanford, Yale, those are real schools and we send people there every single year. Yep. Eric writes and says, hello, Ben and Nathan. I just heard your GLAD acronym for the process of applying to law school. Ben, do you remember what GLAD? Yep. You made it up. Yeah. So GLAD stands for focus on your GPA first, then your best possible LSAT score, then apply early and broadly, or don't go at all. That's <laughs> or the don't D. go. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So Eric says, here's my alternative D in the acronym. It's okay. GPA, LSAT, apply, decide. So you get the best LSAT, you get the best GPA you can. Yeah. And many of you, you know, even if it's a 2.0, that's it's done now. You graduated a long time ago. Okay, you're done with the G. Okay. Move on to get the best LSAT score you can. Then you move on to the A, apply mm -hmm. early and broadly. Yep. And then decide whether one of the offers is worth it to you. I suspect that many people decide to go to law school before they even start this process, or maybe after they've gotten their GPA. And I can imagine that this could cause them to accept an offer that is not actually good for them. Placing the decision whether to go to law school at the end reminds us that not going is always an option, has been said in this week's podcast. Let me know what you think. Thanks for all your coaching, both in your podcasts and on The Demon. Take care, Eric. What do you think, Ben? The edit. I still like the idea of don't go because it emphasizes the importance of these steps, right? Don't do this unless you're going to follow this process. At the same time, yeah, that's absolutely true. 
you can't make a decision until you have the offers in front of you. And if they're not good enough, then you can always decide to not go. So yeah. in fact, what we're saying is very similar. I'm saying don't go. You're saying decide. Those two ideas can be both wrapped up into the D. Make a good decision based on what offers you get. Yeah, I'm happy saying decide instead of don't go. I mean, don't go is a little bit of like a no matter what, just, you know, uh, but then don't do it because it sucks. It does. I mean, don't get me wrong, but, it, you know, I, I think that this does it. It's it's their choice. Right. And they mm -hmm. should decide. And I love this idea of moving that decision to the end of the process instead of having that decision up front. I mean, people come to us all super hot to try, right? Like I've decided, you know, it's a, I, I just, I had this epiphany and I've decided that I'm going to law school. It's like, whoa, what, what are you talking about? Mm -hmm. What's your GPA? What's your LSAT? Oh, you haven't even started LSAT prep yet. Okay. Look, if you haven't started your LSAT prep yet, you have no business deciding that you're going to, I'm going to go to law school. Really? Why? <laughs> like you're, you, you might be messing in an area that is just not good for you. And mm -hmm. the offers that you get from these shady ass law schools might be really, really detrimental to your career. Yeah. They all are going to like just butter you up and try to tell you how they're going to transform your life. And like the, the transformations are real, but many of them are entirely negative. If, if you walk away with, you know, a quarter of a million dollars in debt and you never pass the bar in your state, or if you do pass the bar, but you never get a job or you do pass the bar and you do get a job, but that job doesn't pay you enough to pay back your $2,000 a month student loan payment. Yeah. Then that's the worst thing that could have happened to you. So you should decide once you have the offers in hand, you should be looking at like, okay, well, I applied to 20 schools and here's these 10 offers that I have. And, you know, one or two of them look pretty attractive. And I wonder if I negotiate, maybe I can get those offers to look even more attractive. And then I can try to apply to law school. Yeah. Or then I can decide to go to law school. Decide to accept one of these offers. Or you should not. only be deciding based on actual offers. You shouldn't be yeah. deciding based on your, like, I want to go. That's not. Yeah, like, I get what I you're saying. I don't care. So <laughs> it isn't a preemptive decision, right? It's not like you've preemptively decided I'm going. And therefore, if that decision is now closed, you have to choose one of the offers. That's your only. If you've decided law school or bust. Yeah. Then, yeah, you're going to end up going to probably a lesser school at a higher price. Yep. If you do it our way, you're like, well, I know that every application cycle is different. I know that the offers um, can include not just a full tuition scholarship, but also a stipend. Yep. In some cases. And I'm going to do all the prep and then I'm going to decide whether uh, I'm going to accept any of the offers that I get. One last idea here is that anytime you're willing to walk away from any negotiation, the negotiation outcome is going to be, of course, almost certainly more of in your course. favor. You may end yeah. up walking away and get nothing, but <laughs> yeah, in, in most cases, what ends up happening is you just get more because you're, you're not going to fold as earlier, as early as you would have. 
Yeah, that's why you don't walk to the car dealership. <laughs> right? Like you don't take the bus to the car dealership going like, I need well, I'm going to buy a yeah. car today. Yep. That's a real bad way to buy a car. Maybe yeah. you're at CarMax where they don't negotiate, in which case that would probably be better, but if you if you walk onto the lot and they're like, "Oh my god, look, this person is going to buy a car today." What incentive do they have to give you any kind of a reasonable price? Yeah. I think that's what people don't understand is that it is negotiable. Maybe in a way that your undergrad was not. And everybody is paying a different price. And that's why we do what we do. You know, if they charged reasonable tuitions and if they just charged everybody the same, then we wouldn't be yelling about this constantly. No, the only thing we'd be talking about is ranking, right? <laughs> We've been talking about this for 367 episodes, counting this one. Yep. Because law schools charge everybody a different price. They don't tell you that, but they do. It's a fact. You can look at their 509 report. They charge everyone a different price. Well, nominally, they charge everybody the same price and then give scholarships. But that's the same thing as charging everybody a different price. And if they're charging everybody a different price, then you need to negotiate. And a big way that you do that is by just not deciding that you're going until you see the fucking price. Which you yep. can't see the price until you apply. And even then you got to dig a little bit. What are the fees? <laughs> What's the cost of living for me? Well, you're going to be a lawyer, right? You have to be a negotiator. You have to be tough minded. And and you you have to like just really advocate for yourself in this process. Yep. Otherwise, you're going to lose to a bunch of really tough negotiators. Thanks, Eric. I appreciate the uh, suggestion. Yeah, I love it. This next one's from Christina. Hello, Ben and Nathan. I've heard it said multiple times from consultants and admissions staff that it would be in, in the applicant's best interest if they mentioned they worked throughout college. Why would this information be important in the admission, sorry, in the decision-making process? Would one sentence mentioning working throughout college in an addendum suffice? Couldn't law schools see who worked throughout college on a resume? <laughs> Thank you in advance for your advice. My completely cynical interpretation of this, and I mean, this has basically now become my default presumption. What is, this, what is the school's incentive? Like, what do they want? Yep. They want you to apply. They don't even give a shit who you are. They don't care how good of an applicant you are. They simply want your application. They literally go up in the rankings when they deny people. They're more prestigious if they turn down applications. Yep, because their yield is a factor in their ranking. So <clears throat> they want to deny people. Yep. They want people who are desperate to come to their school. All they want is for you to feel good about applying. So if I'm a self-interested admissions person, it's very easy for me to just go, Oh, your grades aren't that good. Yeah, but I bet you worked, huh? During school. Yeah, you worked. Oh, well, we love that. So, you know, just write, just make sure you tell us on your application that you, that you worked, write it, write an addendum and, and make sure you point out that you worked because that's great. You know, and they're like, just sort of patting you on the head and condescending you and making you feel good about applying to their school because that's what they want. They don't want you to be a better applicant. They want you to be an applicant today. Certainly could be that cynical reason. Um. <laughs> that's always going to be the default presumption because that's where their incentives lie. I'm not sure. saying 
they're biased. Therefore, they're definitely wrong. But I am saying, you know, it's okay for me to be hyper skeptical here of the advice that admissions folk give, especially when we've seen over the years how bad of advice they seem to give. They give terrible advice on personal statements. They give terrible advice on timing of applications. You know, they they think it's cool to apply to one school. What else do they get wrong? They get everything wrong. Yeah. Why do they get everything wrong? I wonder. You know, and it's because there's something else going on right behind the scenes. Yeah. Well, because they're negotiating. It's like the, the negotiation has begun, right? Yeah. They know that they have to fill 350 seats every goddamn year. And they know that if they deny you this year, that'll make themselves look better immediately. And maybe you'll reapply next year. They don't they they don't have any incentive to like help you be a savvy applicant to the extent that this helps. Right. Like if you had two applicants who have the exact same numbers, right, someone who also happened to work full time through college would probably look better. But the problem here is that like so many of these questions is that it becomes a distraction. Exactly. But the, I think they do it intentionally. I can't help but go back to the cynical interpretation that's basically, I mean, because these same people love talking to you about your diversity statement, or they love talking to you about your letters of rec, or they love talking to you about like, oh, tell us your origin story on your personal statements. Like everything out of their out of their mouth is just this like, Whatever you do, it's you're great. You're a great applicant. Yeah, you're awesome. Oh, you should. No problem. Yeah, you should totally apply right now. Yeah, tell us about that. Yeah. What? Retake the LSAT? No, I, you're you're already right at our median. I mean, let's get boy, back to talking about your you personal statement. <laughs> exactly. Let's get Fucking back to exactly. Let's yeah. talk about this. Oh, oh, you got a couple bad grades. Well, you can write us an addendum and tell us about those bad grades like they don't give a fuck about that addendum. They're just trying to make you feel okay about applying. Yep. Prove me wrong. But I mean, I, I don't know. I've been doing this for too long and that's just how it feels to me. Thanks for asking, Christina. Focus on your LSAT and your GPA. Good well, luck. it's like the real answer is yes. Write an addendum one sentence and then get back to your LSAT studying. Cause that's the thing that's going to really change. Like you're going to transform yourself as an applicant <laughs> through your LSAT, not through the stupid addendum. Yep. But people like I, (laughs) Ben, what is the volume, the volume of questions that we get that are addendum related? It's huge. What do you think? Yeah. 75%. I don't know. It's some high number. (laughs) It's like, it's like absurd. It's like, this is a 1% of your application. And we, people spend 75% of their time thinking about it because it's an easy thing to just think about like, Oh, well, I have a master's degree, so, you know, that's going to I know that they don't look at the master's GPA, but it's still going to help me anyway. Right. (laughs) People never stop saying that. And it's like, yes, fine. It's going to help you. Let's talk about the LSAT. Let's talk about your GPA. If that's still in play. (laughs) First, let's talk about your undergraduate GPA. Yes. But yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, this is where the interests of the admissions folks and the applicants align. Because the admissions folks want to talk about things that will get you to apply and the applicants want to hear easy solutions to hard problems. Yeah, they're feeding your ego. They're trying to make you feel better. They're patting you on the head 
It's just totally patronizing. Yep. And and then they just outright lie to you. I mean, I was in a meeting where the lady from Kansas, <laughs> I'm sorry, but she's a pre-law advisor at Kansas and she was in an undergraduate pre-law advising. It was the undergraduate pre-law association of Kansas of KU. Okay. And this was a, a representative from the KU law school who happens to be the faculty advisor for the undergrads for KU, okay. which makes sense until you realize that she's in the meeting telling people, well, nobody really scores over 160 and nobody really improves on their LSAT. So you should just go ahead and apply to KU now. <laughs> With the your fox is guarding the hen house. I mean, that's exactly. exactly. That's yeah. exactly the fox guarding the hen house. And if anybody at KU is, is listening to this, I mean, having your having your law school admissions person be the uh, advisor for the pre-law, the pre-law. undergrads, yeah. Yeah. like you just be aware that what you're doing there is you're poaching your best undergrads for your mediocre JD program, which that's good for the law school. Don't get me wrong. I mean, that definitely suits the law school, right? The 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 admissions lady is like, oh, hell yeah, I want to be the advisor for the undergrads because I can just get them to apply to me and nowhere else. And I can raise my ranking by just poaching our best students. But if I was the undergraduate institution, I'd be like, fuck off. Are you kidding me? I don't want my undergrads going to this mediocre law school when they could go to truly great law schools and grow the like larger reputation of KU. Yeah. They're biased and their bias is making them give bad advice. Or they don't know. <laughs> That's also possible, right? Could be. I both. mean, she's probably heard that before and she, yeah. it's convenient to believe that truth, right? Cause that's consistent with her. Oh, totally easy for her to believe that. Yeah. She's yeah. just, she wants to believe that. Yeah. So why push back against it? Why try yeah. to dig deeper and figure out whether that's actually true? So oh, seventies. Oh, those are totally rare. I mean, yeah, we don't, nah, that's not, that's not, I mean, by definition they're rare. So yeah, okay. they're rare. So it's not, no, nah, you shouldn't strive for that. <laughs> and yeah. Then, yeah. Cause then she's completely. saying goodbye to those good applicants. Yep. Well, yeah, if if the people in that meeting, cause I mean, it was bad times, right? It's like oil and water. I'm in the meeting with this lady. <laughs> how like, did that end <laughs> well i corrected her on one or two things and and then yeah i don't i don't i mean i was like the featured guest of the thing so i went on and did my i think i was doing like the lsat is easy right mm. spiel about how what the lsat tests and how yeah. easy it is to improve which is a yeah. fact and uh, or you know easy Let, let's say doable yeah and um, yeah, then I don't know. She, it seems like she didn't talk anymore after that. But I, I just and then I talked to the like the leaders of the group afterward. And it was like, yeah, she we we know we we take her. We've been listening to the podcast. We already take her advice with a grain of salt. Hmm. Oh, I'm glad they knew. Yeah, <laughs> just be careful, man. These they're like so nice. They're like so friendly and they really give you this impression that they're there to just help you and be totally transparent and forthcoming and they're going to really give you the advice that you need to be a better applicant and that's just not their job yep (laughs) sorry for turning that email into a complete rant but (laughs) thank you christina well that 
that story finally got onto the podcast. I mean, you've told it to me before, but this next one's from Anonymous. Good afternoon. I want to start by start off by saying I'm a huge fan of the podcast and find y'all very helpful. Now I have it engraved in my head that I do not want to pay for law school. With that being said, I currently work full time and am in grad school. The current plan is to apply next cycle and begin law school in fall 2024. I like this so far. By then, I'll be done with grad school. But with my current busy schedule, what plan would you recommend, the premium or the live? My biggest fear is getting the live plan but not having enough time to use all it offers. But since I struggle the most in reading comprehension, I feel like that one might be the best option. Please let me know what you think. And I hope y'all have a great day. And that's from Anonymous. What's your advice, Ben? Well, uh, Anonymous, think about it this way. I, I don't know how tight your finances are, but the difference in cost between the premium program, which is $195 per month, and the live program, which is $295 a month, is $100 a month. Private tutoring is $150 an hour. So if you can get a few hours a month um, from a live class, for $100, it seems like you're going to get your money's worth if that class can help you. And we get reviews from the classes all the time and people say that they were game changing, that that finally helped them realize or understand what they were doing wrong. So at the very least, I would try live for a month. I would try to attend classes on reading comp and anything else that you can make time for. Keep in mind that you can also, with the live program, watch any class that happened that you could not attend because they're all recorded and they're all available under the live subscription. So you can do both of those things for a month. If it doesn't work out for you, the worst case scenario is that you lost $100. The reality is if it really didn't work out for you, just email us and we will refund that 100 bucks. The difference, yeah. Yeah. But just try one month of the live and then, yeah, downgrade later if you feel like you get it. But many people have told us that the live classes, they give gets motivation, immediate feedback on their mistakes, the ability to ask questions just face to face to real live humans. I just got a we just got a review. I'll just read randomly. OK, most recent one that mentioned reading comprehension. This was for Matthew's um, detailed detectives class yesterday. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, rating five out of five comment. This class is so great. Exclamation point. Matt is very enthusiastic and his energy makes reading comprehension much more bearable. Discovering the details is very helpful in understanding the important concepts and the reading overall. I am glad I learned these new reading strategies. That's from, uh, yeah, Matthew's detailed detectives class, but we've got several classes that are focused on reading comprehension from just an awesome, uh, core of teachers. By the way, I think at this point, every single one of our teachers is an LSAT demon, um, or thinking LSAT podcast listener slash LSAT demon student. We just only hire from within. So everybody who you'll meet in the demon, um, you know, they are some <laughs> extremely impressive people who will be teaching with us probably for just a year or two before they head off to Harvard and Stanford and Yale. Yeah. This next one is from Mariah. Um, hey, Ben and Nathan, I just got my score back for the August LSAT and I'm feeling discouraged. I was consistently scoring between 172 and 176 in my practice tests, but my official score for August was a 165. 
I was using Daemon Basic, but I just upgraded to Premium since I basically exhausted all of the content. I was drilling daily, doing time sections often, and taking one practice test a week. Is this score discrepancy common? Do you have any advice for what I could do differently in preparation for the October test? Thanks. Yeah, 165. I mean, that's not shocking. It happens. Maybe on test day, you were trying to be perfect by not missing any single question that you ever attempted or by, and therefore triple checking things that you don't need to triple check or by going too fast. Again, I'm going to try to do just a little bit better on test day. And that actually ends up killing your score. That's the most common explanation for why scores drop that much on test day. Yeah. Were you rushing or Mm -hmm. were you triple checking wrong answers, trying to make wrong answers right? And then second guessing yourself on easy questions. Both of those problems can can interfere with you getting your actual PT uh, scores on your official. Yeah, I guess I would also just say, you know, be like Amanda at the top of the show. Uh, Amanda, absolutely. That you mean you're Amanda after her first test. Like, that's what it was. She was scoring in the 170s and then just kept scoring in the 160s. So you've got four more shots at it. One PT a week plus timed sections plus daily drilling sounds pretty great. I'm glad you've opened up, you know, now you're on Demon Premium, which gives you all of the tests ever. Mm-hmm. More tests than are even available on Law Hub, right? Yep, absolutely. You know, and again, Amanda said she did all of the tests twice and some of them three times. So Mariah, I think you're potentially, you know, scratching. It's just like sort of tip of the iceberg kind of thing. Yeah. Cool. What's this next one? After quitting my job to study for the LSAT full time every day, that is nine to five for five months. I finally got my official score. I literally ran out of questions to study and almost did all available tests twice. 140 diagnostic to 171 official. Thank you for providing a straightforward way of studying for the LSAT. As a URM with a 3.7 GPA in STEM and a 171 official LSAT, what are my chances at a T14? Well, hold on. Sorry. Before we answer that question, so this is another 31-point jump? Yep. So Amanda went up 31 points. This anonymous URM went up 31 points. I I was telling you in an email before we uh, recorded this podcast, I didn't know about this one, but that when I first started teaching the LSAT back in Washington, D.C. with Strategy Prep, that was my company, the first person I hired was Nadia. And Nadia had taken my class and she had ended up with a 31-point increase. And I never thought I would... I mean, I thought it was possible to see that again, but it just felt like such an anomaly that I would only mention it if people really pushed me on, you know, the highest number of points you could go up. I said, well, yeah, once I had this really great student who then became a great teacher and she went up to a 179 with a 31 point increase. But I just, you know, it just felt like such an anomaly. And now we're getting two of these in one <laughs> podcast episode. Well, it was it was literally the same day, right? I mean, we got now it happens like every score release we just get buried. Thank you for emailing us. We are help at thinkinglsat.com and we love to hear how you did on your tests. 
but yeah, we we get inundated now pretty much every score release date with people who didn't do as well as they had hoped and looking for advice. But yeah. We also just get so many people telling us, oh, my God, you changed my life. I improved by 20, 30 points. It's like shit They're They are still it's still incredible. But yeah, <laughs> it. It, it is possible. I mean, it just happens continuously. Yeah. I went to lsatdemon.com forward slash scholarships for yep. anonymous anonymous. You can do that yourself. I put 3.7 GPA 171 LSAT and I checked the box for URM. Yep. I think you're going to get into many top 14 schools. I just don't know how much money you're going to get there. The best full rides that I see are UCLA, Wash U, St. Louis, Boston university. Yeah. All- Three schools that are just right there outside the top 14, just trying to scratch their way back in. And UCLA has done it recently, right? They Mm -hmm. displaced Georgetown briefly in the U.S. rankings at 14th. Um, And you know, Wash U in St. Louis wants to be there. Apparently, BU wants to be there as well. Yeah. You know, and this is not even taking into account STEM. So I would think that the estimator, if anything, is probably going to be a little conservative on its estimates. Mm-hmm. Cause you're, you're not a English major. You're a STEM major with those yep. grades. Yep. And that means something. Yeah. Fantastic. And we don't know, we don't exactly know how URM affects the estimates either. Right. So we could, we might be being conservative in terms of how much that affects your application. I mean, those high scoring URMs are in high demand. Yeah. Super high demand. And so, yeah. you know, you, you get to kind of call your shots, which is great. Yeah. I just wanted to take a quick look at BU because I haven't really noticed them that much. Yeah. Um, you know, at uh, at 17th in the country and a wildly distant second best law school in Boston, they have to compete <clears throat> for top applicants. Their 75th percentile LSAT is 171. So anonymous, you're right at their 75th percentile. They need to keep that up. So they need people like you. And in order to make that happen, they give 32% of their class somewhere between half and full tuition scholarship. They give 17% of their class full tuition scholarship. So at Boston University, um, there are 771 people in that law school, by the way. It's a pretty big school. And they're giving 49% of their scholarship more than or more uh, 49% of their students are getting 50% or more of their tuition (laughs) paid for half are getting half or more. Yeah. And and the other half are paying for those people, right? The tuition there, by the way, is $59,000 a year plus another thousand something in fees. So we are talking about $60,000 a year and the bottom half of that class is paying for the top half of that class. And that's just how these schools play that game. Can we, I want to talk about that top percentage for a half a second here because Abigail and I were talking about it with the developers this morning. I was explaining the rules in the estimator. And right now we're not displaying more than full tuition offers. But this is another school that has, what, 17? You just said 17% of the class is getting more than full? full? Yeah, yeah. I I just, I still think we probably shouldn't even reflect that because we don't know how much it is. and. We have a note. In fact, I think it might be down farther on our 
email queue here. Um, let me see where it is. I'll, uh, we'll bump this up since it's, um, relevant to right now. Okay. Yeah, okay. I found it. <clears throat> Hi, Nathan. I'd like to keep this email anonymous. I am a Dickinson law one L on a full ride, which I received early September of last year. That's what we were talking about on last yep. episode. We were talking yep. about Dickinson a lot. Maybe mm -hmm. it was two episodes ago. Anyway, with yep. respect to the more than full, there was a Dean's fellowship that you could apply for that paid $1,500 over three years. I suspect that this program is what puts the full to more than full. It's basically $500 a year, though. Could be worth it, I suppose. I decided that the time required for that program wouldn't be worth it to me, but to each their own. <laughs> this might be one of those programs where they like make you go to a bunch of stuffy dinners with alumni donors, that type of thing. Yeah, this is and interesting. Yeah. If you're just like, I don't need to meet wealthy donors. I mean, meeting wealthy donors is probably good for you. But if you don't want to meet wealthy donors and it's not worth it to you to get $500 a semester, obviously it pales in comparison to the $60,000 tuition or whatever it is. And I think that's the reason why we shouldn't show more than full on the scholarship estimator. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Um, I also just checked the fees at Dickinson and their annual fees are listed as 182. Um, so that more than full <laughs> program or fellowship could cover those fees. Whereas at some schools, the fees are as much as $5,000. Some, some schools it's even crazy higher. <laughs> and so once we get those fees into the estimator, you'll see that uh, we need to talk about that more too. I, some of these schools, I think, are playing some weird game with the fees. I can't believe that they would do that, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it first here, Nathan. <laughs> um, yeah. And what schools? I want to know who's the worst offender on that because we should call them out for that. Who who who's the one who's trying to get away with like with low low tuition but then they just sock it to you on the fees okay give me that's give me 30 <laughs> seconds okay see we're dangerous now because we're like accumulating data yeah whoa okay there's one let's see florida university of florida is charging thirty six hundred dollars in annual fees to non-residents thirty six hundred yeah. Oh, our tuition's only $34,000. we are we are real affordable. But then <laughs> tack on another four grand in fees. Okay, so I'm just scanning down this list that uh, Francesca and Kevin kindly put together. Thank you both. Uh, I'm looking at, okay, I'm just going to rattle off some numbers. I got 2,300, 2,800, 2,500, 1,200, 5,200. That's just the first. These are top schools, actually. <laughs> That's Yale, Chicago, Columbia. Wow. Oh, those are... For non-residents, okay, NYU is the $5,300 in fees. Okay, I'm looking down here. There's some, okay, here's another big one. William & Mary, $7,000 in fees. $7,000. I mean, <laughs> they tell you you get a full tuition scholarship and then hit you with a $7,000 fee. I think most people would be shocked. Maryland's at $3,900. I guess that's where Matt mentioned fees. I, I shouldn't say 3,900. I should actually say 3,900 to emphasize the size of this, this number. I saw another big one. Okay, uh, Louisiana State, we need to check on this one, but the fee technically is listed at 19,500. <laughs> what? 
I, but I'm pretty sure Kevin and Francesca followed up with them because it was like, okay, what are we misunderstanding here? Louisiana but, State University, Baton Rouge. That's the one you're looking at? Yeah, that's the one we're looking at. Here's 509 says, yeah, well, no, so it's not on the 509. No, they're getting this information from their website. So we're, we're, we're cross-checking this stuff against the 509 the website. Yeah, because we've we found that these 509s can be wrong frequently, so we're we're trying to police that. Yep. Well, here's another one that may be questionable, may be wrong. Who knows? Again, we need to do some work, and they did reach out to these schools, so I'm curious about this one. But this is Florida A&M, $21,500 in fees. So, what? Yeah. Again, it's like, what? Um, I need to ask. We did this a few, like a couple, actually, back in May. So I, I don't remember exactly what they found, but they definitely did reach out to these schools and I think came back. Florida A&M 509. Oh, who fucking knows? <laughs> so, yeah. Wow. Their 509 is really weird. It's got listed. It's listing the tuition per credit. $456 per credit for residents and $1,098 per credit. For non-residents, I mean, if it's 15 credits a semester, that's still $15,000 a semester for non-residents. So, so and that's that's what their website suggests. So for Florida A&M, their website is saying $33,000 for tuition and then $21,500 or $21,600 for fees. I don't, I don't understand it. Their 509 is showing, yeah, $1,098 per credit, which sure works out to $30,000 a year. And then it's showing... 33,000 in annual fees. Oh, so they actually say that on the 509. That's right on the 509. It says 33,000 in fees. Uh, so that would yeah. be a total of 60 grand for Florida A&M in Orlando. I don't know that I've ever contemplated something called Florida A&M University in Orlando, <laughs> but they're 156th in the country. You know, they're down there with a, uh, Elon University, Faulkner University, Golden Gate University, Liberty University. Wow. Okay. So these are bottom feeding, like no way in hell anybody should be paying close to that to go to these schools. By the way, are these fees? Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. No, nah, just, it's a, yeah, it's a law school that basically shouldn't exist probably. Are these fees annual or a first time? Only it says annual fees, doesn't it? Yeah. Wow. So if you're getting an annual fee of even just three thousand dollars, that's that's a decent chunk of cash to come up with, especially for somebody in school. And there's a lot of schools that say that. And I don't think those are confusions or typos because we also then have the tuition right next to it. Yeah, no. Well, they're clearly just moving their tuition over to the fees, right? Because yep. some website somewhere was ranking by tuition and not including fees. So, yeah, we clearly need to include tuition and fees in well, our estimator. And think about the, yeah, which we are, it's in the works right now. Um, and think about the um, negotiation position. Oh, we'll give you a full ride. Oh, you, you want to come with us a full ride or do you want to go with this other school? It's not quite giving you a full ride, but... Did we tell you about the fees that are going to come with that? <laughs> it's not a full ride. So shady. It's a fake ride. Yeah. Well, hey, that's how cars work too. That's how yeah. houses work. Yep. Right? I mean, everything that you buy, it's like, well, here's the price. And then let's talk about the closing costs and the <laughs> broker. Yeah. The dealership the fee. The yeah. Dealership. 
yeah, you, you know, that's what lawyers are for. I suppose that's what lawyers are all about. No, it's yep. not tuition. No, we, we didn't lie. <laughs> Fuck. All right. Last okay. one. Yep. Um, <clears throat> just a tip. I, I wanted to talk about this, uh, tip here. In fact, we can even make this a pearls versus turds. I'll, I'll do that real quick. You want to read it? Yep. Okay. It says, this is from Joshua. Blueprint said to do untimed tests until you can get more than 90% of the questions right. I am implementing this strategy. Do you think this is a good strategy? Nope. Why? <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you like it? You're, you're not getting used to ignoring the time. There's nothing wrong with having the timer going, not finishing, and then if you want, do the rest of the questions after the time is up, but get used to not finishing. Get used to having a timer going and you deliberately, purposefully, and strategically ignoring it. You're not yeah. going to get that with this. You're going to get used to no time, and then when you add the time, you're going to panic, you're going to go fast, and you're going to get things wrong. Yeah. People who do this, then they, then they, it's like, well, I'm just pushing off the day where I'm going to crash and burn on the timed test because yep. I've made it into such a big deal to time myself. Well, I can't, no, I, I can't time myself until I can answer the questions perfectly or with 90% accuracy. I need to be able to do the whole damn test, 90% accurate. Well, okay. So some of you are going to prep for a year then before you ever do a full test. Yeah. Good luck with 90%. Yep. That's a great strategy for people who are committed to the idea that they're not going to take the test until they like are <laughs> super are like really good at it. Yeah. But I, I don't practice tests are practice tests and we have like a hundred of them. Well, I don't so know. What are you you so said it's a good of? strategy. I don't even know if it's still a good strategy because you can do all this and still have the timer going. Because you just do 10 questions or whatever, the timer ends, and then yeah. you do the rest of the test if you want. No, it's bad. I already gave it a turd. Uh, scoreboard now for pearls versus turds is 20 pearls, 66 turds, 24 ties. So we're well over 50% turds uh, on the advice that's out there about the LSAT. Careful careful what you Google. Careful who you listen to. Yep. I, I definitely think that's a turd from Blueprint. If you have a Pearl versus Turd candidate, by the way, you can email help at thinkinglsat.com or you can find us on social at thinkinglsat. You want to wrap it up there? Yeah, let's wrap it up. Be LSAT famous and get on an upcoming show by emailing help at thinkinglsat.com. That's the email that Nathan just gave you. If you have questions about the LSAT demon, email help at lsatdemon.com. They are an amazing help team and uh, much faster at responding than sometimes Nathan and I even are. Check out our other podcast, which is LSAT Demon Daily. That was episode 367 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for law school.